0: All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that You are our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble, and therefore we will not fear, even if all of the earth crashes down around us or society crumbles, we can have confidence that You are in control. And we thank You for the reminder that this psalm gives us in that way and the reminder that this song that we just sang gives us as well. We pray that you would shape our minds to think more rightly about you and your ways, and as a result, be able to praise you better and to trust you in the midst of our circumstances, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm number 46 tonight. Psalm number 46 apologize if I may appear a little tired. I may or may not have stayed up a little too late last night watching the election results and contemplating the end of all things. Yeah. <laughs> but what is it that we do when our society seems to crumble? I mean, how do we think about a society and a world that has lost its way and that is very much opposed to God, And that's what this psalm answers. Now, he talks in terms of, of natural catastrophes, but it seems like there's also some enemies that are, are attacking, and, and it seems like things are crashing down all around him. And what we need to do, what we need to be able to, um, to know, is like the psalmist, how we ought to think when society is crumbling, when the nations are raging against God. And the truth is that we're going to learn from the songs that we have no need to fear because God is with us. That's why we sang Martin Luther's classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, because it was based on this psalm that he wrote those words. Now, let me just give you some introductory material about this psalm. We have been working our way through various types of psalms, and that's why we're kind of skipping around, we're not going consecutively, but... What you'll notice here is that we've come to the second book of the Psalms. So turn back to Psalm 42 and look right above Psalm 42. You should have something that that reads Book 2. So what that means is Psalms 1 through 41 are part of Book 1. And then Psalm 42 through, I think it's 70 or 71 is Book 2. And there's five books altogether, five collections of Psalms within the larger collection of Psalms. And apparently, the way that the psalmist put these together, maybe Ezra or someone later on, it couldn't have been David because some of these psalms were written after his death, but, but apparently what happened was they, they put them together in collections, maybe even some kind of a topical collection. They each start with some kind of wisdom or praise psalm, and they always end with a doxology or a praise psalm. So at the end, uh, if you were to look at Psalm 41, it is a praise psalm. And the same thing is true at the end of each book. And so now what, what we need to recognize is that here, Psalm 46 falls within the second collection of Psalms, Book 2. And what you'll notice is that these are not nearly as often written by David. You notice as we were going through many of the first, um, uh, the first 10 or 15 psalms we've looked at in this series, um, many of them were written by David. Now here we have a different author. Here it's written by the sons of Korah uh, for the people of Israel. And this is a psalm of praise, exalting God for His works and His promises. And this helps us to be able to trust God more and also to be able to praise Him because of of who He is and, and what He accomplishes on our behalf. So let me read our psalm for us tonight. Psalm 46. This is the Word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. We have no need to fear because God is with us. What do we do when the nations rage? What do we do when society seems like it's crumbling or is actually crumbling around us? Several things. First, when the nations rage... We must remember God's protection and strength. Here the opening verses, verses 1-3, through three, give for us the main theme of the psalm. If, if you're tracking here, as we're studying through the psalms, one of the ways you can discover the theme of the psalm is to look at the first couple of verses. The, the psalmist often tell what they want to say and then they, they flesh it out through the, throughout the rest of the psalm. That's often the way that psalms are written. Here we see at the beginning that God is our protection and strength. Verse 1, refuge and strength there. And therefore, verse 2, we don't have to fear even though all these terrible things are happening all around us. Verses 2 and 3, right? Though the mountains slip and the heart of the sea, the waters roar, the mountains quake. All those things are happening. So here's the main theme of the psalm. God is our protection and our power even though... Uh, the world around us is crumbling. We don't have to fear. So first, God is our protection and strength. Here in verse one, He is our refuge and our power. That that is, He works on our behalf, both defensively and offensively. Did you notice that He's our refuge? What's a refuge used for? Right, it's used protect us. It's not something that you take out to the front of your battle line and and use as an offensive weapon. Your your refuge. No, you you. You have that in the back. That's the best place that you could possibly be in a time of storm or in the time of of attack. And and so God protects us defensively. But He also goes on the offensive for us, doesn't He? He is our refuge and our strength, our power. He is the source of our power. Perhaps the greatest gift that we have from our God is found here in the second part of verse 1. A very present help in trouble. Don't miss this promise as you read through the Psalms. Don't miss this promise as you read throughout all the Scriptures. One of the things that God wants us to remember over and over and over again is that He is with us. Just notice in this Psalm alone how many times the psalmist reminds us that God is with us. Here in verse 1, then skip down to verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, talking about how this river actually provides a source of comfort and, and, um, and provision for the people inside of the city walls. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her, in the midst of Zion. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. And then it's repeated again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. Have you found God to be your protection and power? Have you found God to be faithful in times of trouble? Has He come to your aid? Has He been a very present help for you as He's been for the sons of Korah? This is something uh, for which we ought to praise God and it also ought to increase our faith in God because we've seen Him do this to us. We've, we've experienced His presence. We know that He's near in times of trouble and so that helps us the next time we face a challenge, right, that, that seems insurmountable. We know that God is with us. So when the nations rage, God's remember God's protection and strength. There's the there's kind of the the um the theme there in the first verse. Now now we now we look in verses 2 and 3 and see that we have no need to fear. Get caught up here. We have no need to fear even though the world is in uproar. That that is that because God is a present help in trouble, because God is our refuge and strength, here's our response. We don't have to fear. We can have confidence in God. So when God reminds you of His presence and His protection and His power, then it should cause you to, to to have confidence in Him that 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 you don't have to fear. Now, notice in verse 2, this is not a command of what we should do. There are several other places in the Scriptures that say, do not fear. Perhaps the most repeated command in all the Scriptures is do not fear, which assumes that we have a problem of fearing, Right? that that we by nature are afraid of things that might happen to us even though God's God's there and he's promised his presence but this isn't a promise there this isn't a command here is it he says therefore we will not fear he doesn't say therefore don't fear he says therefore we will not fear in other words as we are reminded of God's presence of his protection if it's true then the natural thing that will happen or the the um the uh the result of it will be that we won't fear. So let's talk about that in the reverse. How is it that we can avoid being afraid? And the answer is to reflect on who God is and what He's done. Reflect on the fact that He is near, He's a very present help in trouble, and that He's your refuge and strength. As you think about that and as you are, take confidence in that, what happens is you don't fear in times of trouble. Notice how bad it gets in the second part of verse 2. Though the earth, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. And then verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Here in verse 2, the things that are immovable, the things that we just think are solid and, and immovable like the earth and the mountains, what's happening to them? The earth is changing. It's it's shaking. That's the idea there. The earth is changing. Then the mountains are are kind of falling apart and slipping into the sea. Something that we look at and say, that can never be moved. What happens when it moves? Okay, Yeah, it could be from an earthquake. The point is is that that we don't have to fear. Even when the waters that are supposed to be uh, uh, for us peaceful and calm, when they start to rage like they do in verse 3, and they'd maybe turn into a flood, and the mountains start to shift at the end of verse 3? The point is, no matter what comes, we don't need to fear. So if natural catastrophes abound, we don't have to fear. Now, the psalmist describes these catastrophes as natural, natural phenomena here, but, but, but he's going to talk about the city and the refuge that the city provides, so I think he's actually referring to something larger than just natural catastrophes. Certainly in those circumstances, we can have confidence in God that He knows what's going on and He won't abandon us. So we can learn from that. We can be encouraged by these verses in this this psalm with that. But I think he's pointing to more than that. I think he's saying that no matter what kind of tragedy comes your way, whether it be attacking enemies like we're going to talk about, or whether life is unstable, whether the nations are raging, whether the society is crumbling, as we reflect on God's protection and His power and His presence, we don't have to fear. Now, let me just be clear that, that our confidence in God, our lack of fear, does not deny reality. Some people might look at us and say, well, how could you not fear in a situation like this? Cancer has ripped through your body. You are at stage four. How can you not fear in this situation? It's not that we are denying reality. The truth is that right-thinking believers are actually realists. They understand how things actually are, but they see them from a proper perspective, not from an improper perspective. They see them from a Christian worldview, not from a secular worldview. That is, they see things as God sees them. And that is that, yes, this cancer has ripped through my body, but you know what? I know that I am not living for this life alone. I'm living for something else. And so I don't have to fear. See, we, we see things from a... From an eternal, a, a a a long-term perspective, not a short-term perspective. So what the psalmist is doing here, he's not imagining that things are not bad. He's not burying his head in the sand, you know, like an ostrich or whatever. Instead, he calls on his hearers, listen, see things as they are. Don't deny that they're actually happening. Bad things are actually happening because they are. But But still, in those circumstances, you don't have to fear because you have faith in God. And that's what we should do. As well. So when the nations rage, remember God's protection and power. Secondly, when the nations rage, remember God's presence among us. We've already seen this once in kind of the introduction at the end of verse 1, a very present help in trouble. But here we see it a little bit more clearly in verses 4 through 7, or maybe I could say it this way, it's a little bit more fleshed out or, or expanded. Uh, rather than God is a present help in trouble, now it, it explains a little bit what that looks like. In verse 6, notice the trouble that the the psalmist is facing. The nations are raging. Verse 6, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. This sounds familiar. Sounds like Psalm 2, doesn't it? Why do the nations rage? Why do the kings plot in vain? They grumble. They grumble at the Lord's anointed. Right? We're not going to take your rule. We don't accept that. We'll establish our own king. And yet, in Psalm 2, God sits in the heaven and laughs. Because they are no match for the God of gods. They are no match for the king of the universe. And so the nations are raging here in verse 6, but we don't have to fear because notice what God does in the second part of verse 6. He raised His voice and the earth melted. So, kind of picture here. It's hard to picture God. He's spirit, right? So, we, we sometimes put a body to Him, but He's he's spirit. You have God here. And then you have these puny little nations making all this noise. They're rising up against God and His authority. And with a simple call of God's voice, they are quieted. What happens when God speaks? Well, when God spoke it. Uh, before the creation week, things came into being, or during the creation week, right? Things came into being. God spoke, it happened. Here the nations are in an uproar, and God speaks. And He speaks, and what does it do? It melts them in fear. They melt away. God has power in His voice, doesn't He? That He can bring about whatever intended result He wants. That's the power of God. In John 18, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is in the garden, do you remember? And Judas betrays Him. And all the soldiers come to Him and say, and Jesus says to them, Who are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? And they say, We're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And do you remember Jesus' response? I am He. Or simply, the covenant name for God, Yahweh, I Am. And what happened? They all drew back and fell down to the ground. And that's the power of the voice of God. Do you realize that's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon as well? We'll be first-hand witnesses of it because we'll be part of Christ's army. We won't be needed for that battle as far as having to fight because... Christ the King is going to come. He's going to come riding on a white horse. He's going to be wearing a robe and on the, side of his, on the thigh of his robe it's going to read the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will come with the th- sword of his mouth in Revelation 19 and when they all rise up to do battle against Jesus and his army, he will with the word destroy them all. Defeat Finally, the Antichrist and the false prophet. He will throw the uh, he will throw the devil into the abyss to stay for a thousand years, and all the kingdoms of the earth will be destroyed. And the beast, the birds, will have a feast that day. And the blood will flow from the in the, the in the Jordan Valley, from the the Sea of Galilee all the way down. To the Dead Sea, all to a height of the horse's bridle. That's the power of our God. With a word, He can make whatever He wants happen, happen. So here's a reason that we don't have to fear when the nations rage. We're standing in the middle of all this, they're raging against God and against His authority. We're standing in the middle of raging weather, whatever the case. But when God speaks a word, the nations melt. And the reason that we are safe from the raging enemies will not be because we have a gun in our closet or because we're skilled at hand-to-hand combat. But the reason that we will not have to fear in that kind of situation is because God is on our side. And there is nothing that we have to fear. So, the nations rage, but God is on our side. Verses 4, 5, and 7. Actually, we saw a little bit here. Um, we saw that in 6 as well. second part of verse 6. So, in these three verses, we see um, three things about God's presence. It guarantees our provision. It guarantees our protection and it guarantees our confidence. So first, God's presence guarantees our provision. Notice verse 4. There is a river whose stream makes streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. So we're talking about God's presence. He's a very present help in trouble. But here we start to see it firsthand. Like, what does it look like? Well, within the, the, the city walls, this is talking about Jerusalem or Zion, you have this river that flows through it. Now, right now, that's not the case. We know that will be the case in Revelation because there, there's going to be this river of life that flows from the throne on which Jesus sits. But, but the point is that, that if Jerusalem, this well-fortified city, had a river flowing through it, it would be even more secure than it is now. That's the point of, of a city back in the ancient Near East, having a river. It's important because it provides for them a water supply. They don't have to leave. It's like a teenager right, who has a fridge in his bedroom never have to leave. And that's the way that a river is for a walled-in city. And the point is that God is like that river. You see that in verse 4? God is like that river in Jerusalem. And, And because of that, the people who are within the walls are safe. And not only are they safe, but they're provided for, right? They have the necessities that they need in order to survive. God's presence guarantees our provision. It also guarantees in verse 5, are protection. God is in the midst of her, the city. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So here, it's not just the river, the gifts that God gives. It's great to receive things from God and to know that we're well provided for. But here, it's more than just the gifts. It's actually God Himself who's there. Notice the promise in the second part of verse 5 that she will not be moved. This is a stark contrast from Verses 2 and 3 where the, you have these huge things that are supposed to be immovable moving. The earth is quaking. The, mount, the mountains are, are, are losing parts of, uh, um, uh, of their, their existence into the sea. And yet, here we are in a place of protection, not moved, because God there in verse 5 is helping us. How can this be? How can we be settled when things around us are unsettled? How can we be calm when the storms and nations are raging? And the answer is in verse 7. God's presence also guarantees our confidence. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This is probably like a war cry that the people would, would hold on to, memorize, and recite. God The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. We have nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is the one who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Who can make a charge against us and cause it to stick? The answer is no one, when God is on our side. So, when the nations rage, remember God's protection and His presence. And then, finally, when the nations rage, remember that God will win. Verses 8 through 11, I think, are actually talking about the future. I think what the psalmist does here... Let's see if I've got some more. Yeah. The psalmist does here is, first, he wants us to see that God will win, and he he takes us into the future. He wants us to take a look into the future with him so that we can be reminded what's ultimately going to happen. And the reason I say that is because... Notice what kind of things are, are being done here. Verse 8, Come behold the works of the Lord. He has wrought desolations in the earth. Like major destruction, major judgments on the earth, the nations of the earth. That sounds like the end time. But notice this next one. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. he burns the chariots with fire. Here, he's saying that there is going to be a time when wars will come to and end and the time in which that happened is the time which Jesus promised in Matthew 24 6 and 7 and that is at the end of all things at the culmination of of all time there will be no military power that will be strong enough to defeat our God they'll they'll try to bend all of their farming equipment into and make the, turn them into weapons of warfare they're not going to be enough because there's no one that can match the great power of God. And so here's one of the things that should encourage us when the nations are raging, when things seem unsettled, when society is crumbling, it is that we know how it all ends. We've read the last page. And it tells us that God will win. So, that means we must remember that God is sovereign. Verses 10 and 11. Listen to what God says to the nations here in verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. Or, in other words, stop fighting against me and know that I am God. God is like the dad whose son is running away from him and the dad just takes the back end, the the seat of the bicycle and he lifts up the back side of it. And the sun keeps spinning and spinning the pedals, trying to to, to ride away, and it's of no good. Now, this phrase we often look at here, cease striving and know that I am God, or be still and know that I am God. We often look at this and say, well, this is talking about believers. This is what believers should do. And And certainly there's some application for us that sometimes is helpful for us to just be quiet and listen to God, and respond to Him with trust. That's certainly something we can learn from. But we need to recognize that in the context, God is talking about the destruction of the nations, the stopping of the wars. Remember, the nations are raging, verse 6. They're making this huge uproar, and, and God simply with the Word, verse 6. Let's look back there because I think this is probably the, the, the voice. This is the description in verse 6, and then the, the actual words are in verse 10. So, verse 6, The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice, the earth melted. Well, what did He say? I think this is what He said. Verse 10, Be still. Hush. Right? I am God. Does God have that kind of power over the nations? Where He can just speak a few words and get them to stop? Stop. Remember what Jesus did to the raging storm in Mark 4:39. The disciples were beside themselves, right? What are we going to do? We're all going to die. What are you doing sleeping? Wake up. Can't you do anything? And what does He say? Peace or hush, be still. And the storm stops and the waves become calm. The water becomes calm. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. And what did the how did the disciples respond to that? Remember? They asked they a asked the question. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? And you know what the answer is? Psalm 46. Be still. Hush. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus says that later to talk to the storm. God is saying it here to the nations. No one has the power to calm the storms or the nations except for God. And so, it should not be surprising to us that God has that kind of power. And the nations are raging and, and we, like the disciples, are in great fear. What is going to happen? God, can you please do something? And He, with the Word, can calm them down. Why must the nations stop raging? Why must they obey this voice of God? Well, look at the second part of the verse. Here's what God intends. Why He will stop their roaring. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's saying, listen, I will be acknowledged as sovereign over all things. And one of the ways that I'm going to prove that I am the sovereign God is it's by quieting you who think you can overcome me. You can overpower me. And so, here's the implication, a reminder here in verse 11. We already saw it in verse 7. Same exact words. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob's, J- Jacob excuse me, is our stronghold. So, if God has power over the nations to calm them with the word, and he does... And if God will win, verses 8 and 9, making all the wars to cease and, and burning their chariots with fire and all those things, if God will win, and He will, here's our response. We must be confident in His presence. God is with us. And so we should not join in with the nations and rage against Him. Instead, we should rest. We should rest in Him, knowing that He is in control. We have nothing to fear. God is on our side. What can man do to me? If you want to be able to stand up in the face of a culture that's crumbling, or in the face of nations that are raging, if you want to be able to stand up instead of falter, then you need to be confident in who God is and what He can do. And so when the forces of nature rage, we ought not to have fear we have no need to fear so three reminders here from this psalm don't forget the power of god he is your protection and strength there's something that we can remember as we go to prayer something to praise god for and ask him to help us to be more confident in this that god is powerful that he is our protection and strength our refuge and strength secondly Don't forget the presence of God. A very present help in trouble. He's that river that comes and provides for us. He's the Lord of hosts who is with us. He's the God of Jacob who's our stronghold. That's our God. He is present. He is near. Jesus is called in the New Testament, Emmanuel, in the Old Testament as well. Which means what? God with us. And then don't forget the promises of God that He is faithful and He will win. So that's why this hymn that we looked at earlier, uh, we looked at the first verse, but we're going to look at each of them now by Martin Luther, is so applicable because he takes some of the great challenges that he was fa- facing in the 1500s and puts words to them and helps us to, to um, be able to voice some of the very same feelings or thoughts that we have. And so let's, let's look at these together. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing. Our shelter He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. What do you think that's talking about? Right. So our ancient foe, ancient enemy, is the devil. And he's trying to work in us woe or sorrow. He's trying to cause trouble. His craft and power are great, And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. There's no one that can match the strength of the devil on this earth. But the next verse says, Did we in our own strength confide... If you need the hymn book, that's a little tiny. It's number 81. Um, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? If it were not that the right man were on our side the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth. Anybody know what that means? It's in verse 11 there again. Lord Sabaoth, or Yahweh Sabaoth is actually the Hebrew there. It's the Lord of hosts. The Lord strong and powerful. That's the idea. So that's what um, Luther's doing. By the way, Luther wrote this in in, uh, German, so it had to be translated to English. And this is how it was. Lord Sabaoth is His name from age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. And then one of my favorite verses. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. Does that sound familiar? It sound like Psalm 46? For God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him. Isn't that amazing? Satan. I mean, Satan is attacking. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he is grim. And yet, we say with Martin Luther, we don't tremble for him. Why? Because his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Does that sound like verse 6? In verse 10, the nations are raging. Here, Satan is is kind of the embodiment of the nations and their defiance against God, their rage against God. God, with a word, says, uh, melts him. And here's what he says Stop striving, be still, and know that I am God. One little word shall fell him. And then finally, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. What a great psalm. And and Psalm. But but primarily this this Psalm, the Sons of Korah, Psalm forty six, what a great encouragement it is when the nations are raging, when trouble is all around us. We don't have to fear because God is with us. So let me encourage you tonight in your time of prayer to praise God for one of these things that you saw in the psalm. Okay, could it be for the power and protection of God, could it be the presence of God, could be the promises of God, whatever you see. And you open up your Bible it's completely appropriate to be looking at your bible as you pray and and thank god for that all right any questions